Let us worship God. prophet Isaiah, the 55th chapter, beginning with the 10th verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy One, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds this morning, that your word might fall afresh upon us this day. Amen. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven 
and do not return there until they have been watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, the 13th chapter. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the lake. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things 
in parables, saying, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds, however, fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. After almost five decades, the Christian nonprofit organization Habitat for Humanity, which seeks to put God's love into action by building homes for people who can't afford to do so on their own, is a rare example of a group helping to bridge the partisan divide in our country. Kevin Roberts, the director of faith relations for the Greater Nashville chapter says, when you step onto the Habitat construction site and someone puts a paintbrush or a saw in your hand, no one asks, who did you vote for? Or where do you go to church or do you go at all? This new inclusive theology of the hammer approach has helped Habitat thrive despite the challenges facing many faith-based charities, including aging supporters and shrinking congregations, a loss of faith in organized religion, and the nation's growing polarization in all aspects of life, not just politics. The CEO of Habitat, Jonathan Reckford, says, when a wide range of people serve together to build a house, they focus on what they have in common, shared values, as opposed to when we sit by ourselves online, which is all about how we are different. Through a new initiative announced last fall at a White House summit, Habitat is partnering with Catholic Charities, the YMCA, and Interfaith America. The idea is to address the nation's divisions by inviting people to build friendships as they serve together to meet community needs with an increased focus on interfaith cooperation. Faith in God is at the Habitat Center, but no longer is God a dividing line to keep people away. Rather, Habitat now welcomes anyone who wants to lend a hand, religious or not. Reckford suspects community service will become increasingly important for churches and other faith groups in the future as people 
become more skeptical of organized religion. He says, the first invitation might be, come build with me, rather than come worship with me. Ibu Patel, head of Interfaith America, envisions Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, Jews, and Christians working side by side on a project which is common among many faiths, no matter what they believe about God. He says, everyone has a story to share with mutually enriching conversations between people of different faiths. Chloe Henry, the Faith in Action Program Manager for Pikes Peak Habitat in Colorado says, we try to pair two faith congregations together from different traditions, so we plant the seeds for them on the construction site to get to know one another as they do good, meaningful work. Everyone is committed to the same goal, putting a roof over a family's head, but space is also provided for understanding. Let's practice interfaith dialogue. Let's learn to get along with each other, but also hand me that two by four. These are the same seeds described in our gospel reading. I didn't include the second part of the reading about the allegorical interpretation of the parable, which most biblical scholars believe was an early Christian writing added later many decades after Jesus. For example, the seed landing in a rocky ground are those who first are excited about God's message, but give up when faced with adversity. Well, that later emphasis is kind of a negative one on what stops the seed from growing, as opposed to the parables joyful scattering everywhere to everyone, regardless of whether or not it's successful. When I was a teen and I first heard this parable, I started worrying, were there too many birds, rocks, and thorns in my life? And how could my muddy field be better equipped for the sowing of God's word. So I saw it as a challenge to improve my spirituality. More prayer, more Bible study, more youth group. But inevitably, I kind of walked away feeling bad about my faith journey, judged, inadequate, and rather anxious. The name of the parable is not four different soils, but the parable of the sower. It's not a story about us with our successes and failures, but the sower's story representing the nature and character of God. This is no ordinary sower, as this farmer throws seeds in all directions extravagantly, oblivious to any risks, and lands everywhere in tough terrains as well as good, rich topsoil. No farmer in their right mind would waste three quarters of their seeds by foolishly sowing them in areas where they aren't likely to sprout or grow. The sower seems to be hoping the seeds will find the right kind of soil, yet does almost nothing to ensure that happens. Despite the wasted efforts and the squandered seed, this farmer achieves a bumper crop even a miraculous one, 60-fold, 100-fold. The sower isn't cautious, 
unpractical, stingy, or judgmental, and doesn't care where the seeds land because there's enough seed to go around to fulfill the sower's purpose, even plenty of seed to waste. The work of God's reign, like the sower's work, will take its shares of blows and overwhelming setbacks, but an abundant harvest is assured. This good sower shows lavish generosity, treating all terrains as if they were all potentially good soil, no matter where that seed lands, in the hope that a single seed might grow where it wasn't expected to do so. What this says to us is that despite our many failures and setbacks, God will keep working on whatever is hardened or rocky or thorny within and among us. God hasn't brought us this far to leave us behind. As our Isaiah reading reminds us, God's work doesn't return to God empty, but it keeps on keeping on to achieve the end for which it was sent, whether we notice it or not. Have you ever observed how wind and birds and insects carry seeds from trees and flowers all over the place? So you see flowers blooming from cracks in sidewalks or vines climbing up the side of a building that barely gets any sunlight. Under grim conditions, seeds can be tenacious. They won't give up. In the parable, the harvest comes unexpectedly and much more fruitfully than could ever have been expected. Because it's not due to anything the farmer has done. It's all gift. Nature writer and New York Times columnist Margaret Rankle gave the following address to college graduates. Quote, you are children of the 21st century the first generation to recognize the inescapable urgency of climate change, the undeniable loss of biodiversity. You've grown up in an age permeated by the noise of a 24-hour news cycle, by needless political polarization, by devastating gun violence, by the isolating effects of social media. You have seen hard-won civil rights roll back, and none of it is your fault. I wouldn't blame you if you're wondering how somebody of my generation, which wrecked so much that is precious, could dare to offer you advice. My only response is that age has exactly one advantage over the energy and brilliance of youth. Age teaches a person how to survive despair. The years have shown me hardship is only one part of life, and not the largest part. Hardship always lives side by side with happiness. Pain always finds its fullest partner in joy. Love takes many forms, some of them surprising, and people are almost always kinder than we expect. The world is beautiful. Remember how many very good people you know and how many times 
A perfect stranger has been good to you in many ways, tiny ways, offering to push your cart back to the store, waving you ahead in traffic, giving money when you were short at the checkout. Think of the classmate who lent you her textbook or the stranger who took the time to call a tow truck when your phone was dead. The world is beautiful. People are good. Change happened only because good people worked together to make an unfair world better. My grandmother didn't close out her teaching career in an integrated classroom because Alabama politicians suddenly decided to do the right thing. As with every other sweeping change for good, desegregation occurred because good people working together with other good people became an unstoppable force for change. As you leave for the rest of your life, you will be prepared for whatever challenges may come your way if you remember only two things. The world is beautiful and people are good. And remembering that will help you remember how good you are and how much good you can do too, unquote. Rankle's insight that knowing who we are enables us to show compassion echoes the parable's message that because God is always on our side, we have the, that divine stamp of approval. So when we scatter the seeds of good news, we don't need to play it safe. Yes, we're scared about declining church attendance, members not returning after the pandemic, Christianity seen by the public as the religion of conservative Republican politics, and a majority of Generation Z youth listing their religion as none. But all the more reason not to sow that seed only where we are confident it will be well received, not to hold too tightly to our resources, not to stifle creativity and enthusiasm, not to resist new ideas for fear they might not work, and not to worry about mistakes or occasional defeats. The sower suggests we're called to waste ourselves, to throw seeds around like there's no tomorrow, with our meager efforts magnified out of all proportion by God's generosity and mercy. There may be times when we're disenchanted, have doubts, or feel lost, but God always surprises us because we're never written off once those seeds have been planted in us through baptism. No matter what we do, how far we fall, God promises us a spectacular harvest is coming. The parable dares us to look not in obvious places for God's seed, but in unlikely, even uncomfortable situations and in marginalized peoples where God secretly works. Like God, we're to keep sowing those seeds of good news even when it seems futile a waste of time, or we face opposition. Because a few of those seeds will sprout 
in amazing ways and amazing places, waiting to grow and bear fruit, just as it's doing for Habitat for Humanity, who's not playing it safe, but planting new seeds of unity and cooperation. New life can shoot up from the most shriveled places in our lives and in people we've given up on who seem hopeless in ways we cannot always see or predict. The gospel is falling on good soil, producing a rich harvest. Grace is infinite, always available, making no conditions, just leaving us awestruck with gratitude and giving us the foundation, the courage, and the strength to sow those seeds of good news as an invitation, a call, and a challenge. As Margaret Renkel told those graduates, the world is beautiful and people are good. God never gives up on us, so we're not giving up on ourselves or the church, despite all the dire forecasts, because ultimately, there's no place, no circumstance, and no person in whom God's seed cannot sprout, take root, and bloom gloriously. God is joyfully spreading seeds of hope, compassion, and love everywhere to everyone all the time. Beloved community, how can we not do the same? Goodness of our God in the land of the Lord.
as we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God.
one, you have fed us in silence, in word, in song, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. Amen. Jesus has sown his word in us, so let us welcome it with warmth by letting those seeds of hope, compassion, and love take root in us and grow and yield a rich and beautiful harvest that we joyfully share with others so we may be a blessing to all. And so may the Lord bless you, the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer. Go in peace.